Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. The Satipatthana is the Buddha's primary instructions on contemplative practice. It's the earliest precedent for modern vipassana or insight meditation. Today, I begin another three- or four-part talk on the topic of the Satipatthana Method. To begin, we go to 19th century Japan. Having spotted the lone ronin standing on the dusty street, the miscreants arrayed themselves in a show of opposition with weapons drawn. However, the ten of them together were about to prove no match for Sanjuro. His keen gaze assessed the situation impassively as he approached at a steady pace. When warned to come no closer, he immediately quickened his pace, but with swords still sheathed. When the pistolier drew and aimed his weapon, Sanjuro suddenly darted to the side, shot an unseen dagger through the gunman's wrist, leaped into the fray, and within seconds had dispatched all but one of the men, a young coward whom Sanjuro, out of compassion, allowed to flee. The gunman, now dying in the dirt, asks Sanjuro to hand him his weapon that he may take it with him to the next world assuring Sanjuro that it was now empty of bullets. The pistolier attempted to aim the gun at Sanjuro as the ronin watched unmoved and the dying man, for want of strength, fired his pistol harmlessly into the ground. Some of you might recognize this as a depiction of the climax of Akiro Kurosawa's 1961 film, Yojimbo. This talk is about skill in practice. And what better way to begin than with the quintessence of skillfulness in popular culture, the martial arts genre. Of what did Sanjuro's skillfulness consist? He had brought four qualities into the skirmish, each of which his ten opponents, even collectively, could not match. Ardency, proficiency, comprehension, and composure. What is often overlooked is how fundamental these qualities are to the advanced Buddhist practitioner as well. Ardency has to do with motivation. The ten wrongdoers could scarcely apprehend the depth of compassion for the plight of the innocent among the villagers that impelled Sanjuro, even greater than the concern for his own life, which he had already nearly sacrificed in this cause. Sanjuro's proficiency lay in his knowledge and training 
assuredly imparted by some samurai master and further developed as he practiced his trade in situations like this. He understood weapons and human anatomy, how to respond in the most skillful way to specific situations. Most of his know-how would have become internalized through practice and repetition, ready at hand spontaneously without thought, neurally encoded. Sanjuro began his engagement by taking a moment to assess the situation in order to comprehend it clearly in its entirety. The dangers and opportunities, the weapons, and even psychological profiles of his adversaries. Most of this could proceed spontaneously drawing on trained proficiency, but any unique circumstances would have required further thought and deliberation. In this case, the presence of the pistol, a weapon with with which he seemed to have limited familiarity. The keenness of his comprehension was dramatically heightened in his realization that the dying gunman was deceiving him and the certitude that he would be too weak to fire the uploaded pistol. Sanjuro's composure was clear in his demeanor. While his opponents were disrupted from their gambling and exhibited fear and agitation, he had put all self-concern calmly aside and anything else not immediately relevant to the task he was determined to accomplish. To center without emotion directly on that and nothing beyond. What a guy! These same four qualities are listed as providing essential prerequisites to Satipatthana practice. In fact, we will see next week that they even gave this foundational practice its name. Accordingly, in the Buddhist context, I'll call the employment of these qualities the Satipatthana method. The Satipatthana method is described in this famous passage. Here, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body in the body, ardent, comprehending, and proficient, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating feelings and feelings, ardent, comprehending, and proficient, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating mind and mind, ardent, comprehending, and proficient, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating dhammas in dhammas, ardent, comprehending, and proficient, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. This text describes skill and practice. The practice itself is described in four aspects, contemplating body and body, contemplating feelings and feelings, contemplating mind and mind, and contemplating dhammas and dhammas. The Pali word that I'm translating as contemplating used throughout the Satipatthana is a variant of the gerund 
anupasana, literally seeing along or watching. The general practice, therefore, is a kind of seeing in a deep or penetrating sense aimed at seeing things as they really are. For instance, seeing without presuming a self, seeing the impermanence of all things, and seeing clearly the the immediate sources of suffering. This practice demands enormous skill, is carefully cultivated over time, and in particular requires that we bring certain qualities to bear in the practice, which are enumerated in the text. Ardency, comprehension, proficiency, and putting away covetousness and grief for the world. Let's look at these in more detail. Ardency, atapa in Pali, is also translated as zeal or exertion. It's the active energy of Buddhist practice and is closely aligned with right effort. Comprehension, sampajanya, is also translated as clear comprehension, watchfulness, alertness, or deliberation, and entails an understanding or response centered around the circumstances relevant to the current practice task and informed by proficiency. Proficiency, sati, is most commonly translated as mindfulness. I explicitly avoid translating sati as mindfulness. This is because the term has been hijacked in much of modern Buddhism and popular culture, lending itself to interpretations that bear little trace of the original meaning as recollection. In proficiency, I hope to restore something close to Reese David's original apt use of mindfulness to refer to memory applied to purposeful activity in the present. Listen to my last three talks on this topic. Proficiency refers to active memory, bringing to mind and bearing in mind of previous learned know-how, thematically centered around what is relevant to performance of the current practice task. Putting away covetousness and grief for the world is composure or non-distractedness, terms that I'll use here because they're shorter. The exclusion from attention of any circumstances or know-how not relevant to the current practice task. Bringing these four qualities to bear is what I call the Satipatthana method. The art of skillfulness, attentive to the present practice conditions, tutored and trained in how to accomplish the current task or practice. In the practice of Satipatthana, it brings our Dhammic principles and skills into our present experience of body feelings, mind, or Dhammas. We note that the same method appears to apply not only to Buddhist contemplative practice, but to martial arts as well. Moreover, it pervades all aspects of Buddhist practice and is applicable, practically speaking, far beyond. Let's look at the etymology of Satipatthana. 
the origin of the word. Teachers and scholars fail to appreciate that Satipatthana refers literally to the method, not to the practice, of Satipatthana. The word is a compound of two words, Sati, meaning proficiency, and Upatthana, meaning attending or attentiveness. Let's look at Sati. Sati, proficiency, is one of the four factors of the Satipatthana method that I just talked about. The Pali word is a derivation of a root, meaning memory or recollection, and corresponds to the verb sarati, remember or recollect. The cognate word in Sanskrit, smrti, has a similar meaning and was commonly used at the time of the Buddha specifically in reference to memory of sacred Brahmanic texts or even to the body of sacred texts themselves, which for many centuries were preserved in rote memory before they were committed to palm leaf. We should not forget that the same practice of rote memorization of scriptures was successfully emulated in the early Buddhist Sangha as well, apparently uniquely among non-Brahmanical schools. It therefore makes sense that sati would have an analogous connotation in the early texts. Indeed, sati is always some form of memory in the early texts, and virtually always in support of the performance of some task or practice in the present moment. Let me cite some key examples. First, sati is the first of the seven awakening factors, bhojanga, where it clearly is allocated the function of bringing the dhamma to mind so that it can be examined and investigated. Whenever bhikkhus, a bhikkhu dwelling thus withdrawn, recollects that dhamma and thinks it over, on that occasion the awakening factor of sati is aroused by the bhikkhu. The bhikkhu develops the awakening factor of sati at that time. The bhikkhu completes the awakening factor of sati at that time. In short, a dhamma teaching is chosen as the first awakening factor, and all that is previously known, relevant, or intuited concerning this teaching is brought to mind. This fulfills proficiency. The second factor, investigation of dhammas, then begins to examine how this teaching manifests in present experience. This fulfills comprehension. The third factor fulfills ardency and the rest of the series fulfills composure. Proficiency based on the Dhamma is what we must continually bring to mind and hold in mind in order to practice Satipatthana contemplation, or in order to engage in virtually any other Buddhist practice. Elsewhere, the Buddha offers us the following example of Sati. Just as a gatekeeper in the king's frontier fortress is wise, proficient, and intelligent, one who keeps out strangers and admits acquaintances 
for protecting its inhabitants and for warding off outsiders, so too a noble disciple is proficient, possessing supreme proficiency in discrimination, one who remembers and recollects what was done and said long ago. With proficiency as his gatekeeper, the noble disciple abandons the unwholesome and develops the wholesome, abandons what is blameworthy and develops what is blameless, and maintains himself in purity. The gatekeeper performs his occupation by bringing previous know-how to bear in assessing each person seeking entry. Aside from any acquired intuition about who looks suspicious and who doesn't, he will draw on his memory of particular incidents involving particular people that he might now recognize from the oft-times distant past. This is his proficiency. The noble disciple is then asked to develop an analogous Dhamma-related proficiency in assessing our own intentions as they seek entry one by one into our minds. I choose to translate sati as proficiency because the vaguer memory or recollection fails to put us in mind of the particular kind of memory that skilled Buddhist practice demands. This will include not only taught principles that can be put into practice to perform tasks, but also the internalized manifestations whose application has become automatic and effortless through years of practice, much as years of learning scales and chords manifest in spontaneous movements of the virtuoso's fingertips. In Buddhism, I dare say, our development of proficiency in practice also marks our progress on the path. Next week, I'll talk about the etymology of upatana, the second part of satipatana. It means attentiveness or caring for. We will then look at the core of the method, which is already present in human cognition, as proficiency or active know-how working together with the ongoing comprehension of the current practice circumstances and learn that attentiveness is the key ingredient of what Buddhism adds to this natural capacity. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. That is S-I-T-A-G-U dot org C-I-N-T-I-T-A.